I, um, I guess to my embarrassment, I was, I don't know, 20, I mean, eight, I don't know. It was, it was longer than most uh, that I could spend the night away from home. And um, I have so many memories of my dad taking me to a friend's house that I was excited to spend the night with. And right before I get out of the car, he, he would sort of pause and, and look at me and say, I will come to get you. That's what Jesus is saying in our text this morning. I was uh, in seminary for longer than I should have been probably, and I moved um, a few times, and um, there was one time um, in our last stop along the journey, we were in St. Louis, and um, I just was ready to throw in the towel. I was in Greek for the fifth time maybe, and uh, we were sitting in my car uh, Dory and I, my wife, and, and, and I was just ready to pack it up and go home. And, and I'll never forget one of the things that Dory said was, that's okay, but I won't leave you. That's what Jesus is saying in this text. Uh, fast forward even more recent, I was going through my second ordination trials um, uh, to, to come into the PCA, and uh, I'll never forget our pastor, Dave, was, was driving us uh, to, to this church uh, where, where I would be interviewed and interrogated um, <laughs> about uh, who I was and what I didn't and did believe. Um, and I'll never forget, I'm like I'm nervously using the restroom and I come out and, and Dave is right there. He's not actually one of, the, um, one of the people in the room at the time. And before we walk in, he just sort of stops me, um, pauses. And uh, he's, he looks at me and he says, relax, I love you. That is what the Father, through the Son, by his Spirit, is telling us this morning. He's grabbing our faces or our shoulders. He's going to speak directly, and he's going to cause us to see him. And he's telling us that he loves us, and that he's coming back. I want you to think about a couple things before we read um, this, this text. Um, I, I want you to, uh, to notice the intent behind it. Before we even read it, I want you to be thinking about this. I want you to realize that the intent behind this very ending section of Scripture is to encourage a scared people. Do you remember all those really horrific contextual clues that Dave gave us as we've sort of worked through the book of Revelation of the last few weeks? Be mindful of that. Remember why Jesus would be saying the things that he's saying. Number two, I want you to notice who's speaking, and I just sort of gave it away. We might not expect, but God is going to take the mic directly. He is going to do what he did at the beginning to speak the world into existence. He's going to speak eternity into existence. Notice him speaking. And finally, um, if you've been around the church or you know a little bit about the Bible, um, see if you can't pick up on all the breadcrumbs, all the threads, all the ways that Jesus is tying a bow around his entire witness of himself. We're going to go from Genesis to the prophets to the Sermon on the Mount, all the way through, okay? So that brings us to our text. We're going to be in Revelation chapter 22, verses 6 uh, through 21. 
the end of the Bible for the end of the year, who knows, Jesus might return. Um, hear God's word. And he said to me, these words, this is the angel right here, these words are trustworthy and true. And the Lord, the God of the spirits of the prophets, has sent his angel to show his servants what must soon take place. Now Jesus speaks. Behold, I am coming soon. Blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. Isn't that an interesting command? Keep, cherish, think about, hold dear, tell your children about. I, John, am the one who heard and saw these things, and when I heard and saw them, I fell down to worship at the feet of the angel who showed them to me. But the angel said to me, you must not do that. I'm a fellow servant with you and your brothers, the prophets, and with those who keep the words of this book. Worship God. This is the second time John's done this, and it teaches us something super valuable. We love to worship the people who reveal God a lot quicker than God. Verse 10, and he said to me, do not seal up the words of the prophecy of this book for the time is near. So let the evildoers still do evil and the filthy still be filthy and the righteous still do right and the holy still be holy. Jesus again, verse 12, behold, I am coming soon, bringing my recompense with me to repay each one for what he has done. And the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Blessed are those who wash their robes so that they may have the right to the tree of life, that they may enter the city by the gates outside of the dogs and sorcerers and the sexually immoral and the murderers and idolaters and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you about these things for the churches. I am the root and the descendant of David, the bright morning star. The spirit and the bride say, come, that's addressed to Jesus. Let the one who hears say, come, that's addressed to Jesus. And it turns to us. And let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who desires take the water of life without price. I warn everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book, if anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues described in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of this book, the book of this prophecy, God will take away his share in the tree of life and in the holy city, which are described in this book. He who testifies to these things says, surely I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with us all. Amen. Let's ask for help. As we think about and um, listen to God's word together. Father, Son, and Spirit, we gather um, some of us um, refreshed from an encouraging week with family and friends. Lord, would you help us to see that the encouragement we have is a foretaste of what's to come. Father, some of us come physically hurting. Would you help us to see that your eyes are on us. Some of us come with hurting hearts. 
and fears and anxiety, would you lift us up to see the face of our lovely Savior? Spirit of the living God, would you breathe in your word? Would you feed us um, what we need to be nourished? Lord, we can read this all day, but without your help and the work of the Spirit in your word, Lord, we do this as academics, but we long to be those who are thirsty for you. So we need you, Jesus, to, to come alive yet again, to reveal your splendor, your goodness, and your kindness to us. And we'd ask that you do it. In your name we pray. Amen. How, how do you respond when, when someone shows you a photo of you from a long time ago? Uh, maybe you've seen one of these that you didn't want to see this week, um, hanging out with some family members. Hey, come check this out. Right? Maybe, uh, maybe it's just, uh, you know, and, and I'm not talking about the cuddly ones when we're like babies or tiny, you know, when we're just, you know, so I'm, I'm talking about the ones that are like somewhere in between, you know. Uh, maybe you're, you're, you're embarrassed by like how you looked, you know. Um, maybe um, maybe you're, you're, you kind of cringe at the wardrobe choices you made, you know. Um, maybe it goes a little bit deeper than that, and maybe... Maybe that picture is representative of a season of your life that you'd really like to forget. Maybe it's with a picture of someone that you love that you haven't seen. As I understand, in the dating scene of college students, when a couple breaks up, two things happen at the end. One, Every picture tagged together is untagged. And two, the sweatshirt is returned. All right? What, what is all of that communicating about our hearts? Most of us can be tempted to believe that the past is baggage to be eliminated. It's pain to be forgotten. I don't know how your 2023 has been, um, but uh, without imagine, without uh, what, what's the word, um, embellishing this, um, we, we've had a newborn, and, and my wife has, has, has not had much sleep. Um, three people that we've loved died. Uh, I, I've felt like a shell of a campus minister for most of the year. I don't know about you, but I'm kind of excited about 2024. Um, maybe it'll be a little bit better. This morning, what I want us to see from the end of this text is that Jesus doesn't succumb to the temptation that our best future is disconnected from our past. It's not a reinvention. It's the redemption of, of the past. Because he stays engaged. Because the future of God is always connected to his past. Why? And this is our headline for the, for the morning. God never quits. He doesn't, he, he doesn't quit. He doesn't give in. He doesn't abandon. He doesn't forfeit. He doesn't throw in the towel. Right? The closest thing he ever did to this would, would have been, right, what, the, the flood? Maybe you thought of that. And yet he still preserved a family people. He doesn't quit. Friends, if we're going to know where we're going, we must remember where he's been. 
So I want us to tackle this in, in two sections. First, God never gives up on his original plans. Second, God never abandons our first home. All right? God never gives up on his original plans, and he never abandons our first home. This is going to kind of feel like, in my mind, with, with us having just gone through um, sort of this Christmas, or in the Christmas season, rather, but um, that the Christmas carol with Ebenezer Scrooge, and he's got these ghosts that sort of take him to the past, present, and future, you know? We've got these sort of angelic escorts. Well, we're going to kind of do that now. As we think about the fact, and are reminded, and Lord willing, encouraged, it's really good news that God hasn't given up on his original plans. So this is what I want us to see. There's, there's four quick stops. Ready? Number one, prophecy is fulfilled. If you look at verse 10, he, um, John is instructed to not seal this scroll up. Why? Because the time is near. I wouldn't have known this just reading this right away, but this is a direct contrast and fulfillment of Daniel's vision, where he is ordered to seal up his vision. Because, if you read about it in chapters 8 and 11 of Daniel's prophecy, the, what he saw was so far into the future, the time wasn't come. And what he's telling us today is that the advent of Jesus was then and is today no longer a distant occasion. As Ferguson quips, it's Saturday afternoon in God's calendar, and the eternal Sabbath is about to break. A note on time before we move on to our second and third and fourth stops. Most of us think about time in terms of um, like spatial terms, like past, present, and future, kind of like a timeline, and we measure it with a calendar, right, which is good. We measure it uh, with, with our schedules, but, but John actually has two words for time. One of the Greek words is chronos, which is what we usually think of when we say time. The other is kairos. And in verse 10, when, 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 when he said that time is near, he's using the second word. You see, kairos communicates opportunity or fulfillment or that expression we have, it's the right time. See, kairos is the time spent falling in love. It's it's less of a meeting time and more like an arrival or a reunion. Unlike Kronos, it's usually not anxious but eager. It's usually not fearful but excited. Think about it. We can miss our entire lives if we only measure it chronologically, right? If we are dominated by a sense of Kronos time, our future is, 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 is anxious, and it's draining the energy from our present. But if, but if we're dominated with a sense of kairos, our future is a source of expectation that gives us hope, right? He's talking about Jesus coming back. And this is why speculation about time is, is, is silly. Because the time has come. And the second advent is on his way. So the first thing that we're noticing is that he never gives up on his original plans. And what I want us to see is that the hope of eternity is the fulfillment of the past. And the first place we notice this is in prophecy. He brings it up at the very end. I'm fulfilling this prophecy right now. Two, genealogy is completed. In verse 16, Jesus says this. He says, I'm the root and offspring of David. Why is he talking about this now? Jesus is reminding us 
here at the end that he's not some generic savior, but the Davidic king. The, the lineage has been preserved. What was David promised? He was promised an eternal house, kingdom, and throne. Jesus is saying, the throne is occupied with me. I am great David's greater son. Genealogy is finished. Third, creation is regained. We see in verse 16 that Jesus also says that I am the bright morning star. What, what is that? It's the sun. So he keeps going back. And at this point, we're at the very beginning of all time. The first day of creation when, when God, in, in, in the darkness that covered the deep, says, let there be light. What's he saying? <laughs> the sun, literally, is but a shadow of the true light of Jesus. Second Peter says this, until the day dawns and the morning star rises in our hearts. When was the last time you saw the sun rise and thought about Jesus? Probably did. Creation is being regained. The eternal creation, recreation, is Christ coming back. He is our morning star. Fourth, finally, the fullness of time. We see in verse 13, Jesus is talking about himself again. He says that I am what? The alpha and the omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Friends, this is not only a comment of Christ's uh, immensity, but it's as much a comment about his covenant faithfulness. He finishes what he starts. He goes back. Did you know? so he goes to prophecy, then he goes to King David, and then he goes to creation, then he just goes before time. Isn't it good news that the eternal future is rooted in the eternal past? That, that what that then means for you and for me is that he doesn't quit. He doesn't quit on his plans. He doesn't quit on you and me. Have you, have you ever reached a point in life when you were okay if others quit on you? Yeah. Have you ever been to a place where, where you did or, or really close to, to quitting yourself? Don't we all have this imaginary ceiling for God's commitment to us? Isn't there a threshold that all of us conceive that if we transgress it, his commitment to us will be revoked? Right? It's not true. I think about the story, um, one of the parables in Luke chapter 15, where the, where the woman has 10 coins and she's lost one. And the text says that she lights a lamp, she sweeps the house, and she searches until she finds it. She searches until she finds it. I'll open the refrigerator, and if I can't find something in 20 seconds, I'm announcing to the house that we don't have it. <laughs> this is a picture of Christ. He searches until he finds you. He brings you home. He will not stop looking for you. He will not stop pointing you to his son. He will not stop pursuing you. He will not stop helping you to repent. He will not stop growing you. It's annoying, right? Maybe that's just my personality and sin in my heart. Would you stop? Gotta get some breathing room. 
God is committed beyond your wildest imagination. When he sees the picture of you, maybe before you knew Jesus, he doesn't cringe. Doesn't. He sees his son. He sees his own son. God doesn't finish, or excuse me, he doesn't quit on what he started. His plans that were the beginning are the end. And through Jesus, they have been accomplished. Second, he never abandons our first home. You may be wondering, I don't know if that's very hopeful, but I hope it, I hope it will be for you. So if you read back in verse 14, where it says, blessed are those who have a right to the tree of life, that they may enter the city by its gates. And then in verse 17, there's a reference to the water of life, which we learned about earlier in chapters 21, and really throughout different portions of Revelation, that this water of life is the river, both of which are absolutely designed to draw our attention back to the garden. Do you see that? He's talking about Eden. You see, our eternal home is the restoration of our first home. What's so special, you might ask? We were kicked out of that place. If you notice at the beginning of this blessing, this sort of beatitude in Revelation, it says, blessed are those who have the right to the tree of life, the right to enter. If we recall that that moment in history in Genesis chapter 3, verses 22 to 24, I want to read it for us. The Lord God says, the man has now become like one of us, knowing good and evil. He must not be allowed to reach out his hand and take also from the tree of life and live forever. So the Lord banished him from the Garden of Eden after he drove the man out and placed on the east side of the garden cherubim and a flaming sword flashing back and forth to guard the way of the tree of life. The curse that Jesus has come back to reverse. What was it? It was eviction. It was banishment. It was expulsion. It was homelessness. If you could put it in a, in a phrase, it was go. <laughs> it was leave. Be gone. Get away from me. So what Jesus is saying is that when he doesn't abandon our, our first home, the one he created for us to dwell with him forever, he's not only talking about a place, but he's talking specifically about our regained access to it. Our forever home is the grand reopening of our first. But this is what I want you to think about. This isn't just a nice house in the neighborhood that your mom and dad picked you up and said, hey, this is where we're going to live. But it's actually the one that when you see it, it will fill you with divine warmth. You see, sin blurs our memory. You see, the sin that we inherited has blurred that memory. Can you imagine what it was like to walk with God? Can you imagine the joy, the laughter? Can you imagine your work working? Can you imagine that? When we see him coming, this is what our affections will taste. Home. I think about students when they return to their homes, and if, if they're safe homes, 
Um, we all know this about our homes, that, that our masks come off at home, right? We take our shoes off, not to be polite, actually, just to be comfortable. Um, we, we might pet the dog, hang out with the dog. We might, I don't know, watch TV. There, we might ask for a meal that we've missed. What's home for you? Could you imagine that your, your best experience of home is, is but a glint of what it means when, when Jesus returns as home to bring us in? He hasn't abandoned that place for us. It's the ultimate reversal of this curse, of being sent out to saying, come on in. <laughs> Dory reminded me that home is where your mom is. For Jesus, home is where his church is. And three times in this text, he says, I'm coming. I'm coming soon. I'm coming soon. <laughs> the question that, that, that I have, that I hope you have, is like, how does he bring us home? Right? How does he actually regain access for us? How does he bring us through? And the answer from verse 12 is, is judgment. The word he uses is, excuse me, recompense. There is a rite of passage. Did you notice it? It's a washing ceremony. Verse 14, wash your robes. And what he's talking about is washing in the blood of the robes of Christ. Now, children, I don't know if, if you're listening at all, but I remember when I was little, when someone told me that blood cleaned, you lost me, right? I mean, that's like the air, you can't remove that stain. My mom had a hard enough time getting grass stains out. Are you kidding me? How's blood clean you? Well, if you're listening, I want you to know that the, the, the reason that Jesus' blood cleans is because he was perfect. You see, the Bible says that we've bloodied our noses all over the place, being rude to our siblings, right? Um, maybe disobeying or, or, or doing something that our parents have asked us not to do. We, we bloody our noses all over the place, and so we've got all these bruises all over us that the Bible calls sin. And the only way for, for the inside, right, our consciences to be cleaned, the Bible says, Hebrews chapter 9, is for the perfect blood of Jesus. You see, there is a stain you need. It's not a grass stain, but it's his stain because it's perfect. And when a perfect person dies for an imperfect people who also happens to be God, you get to be welcomed home. This is how he cleans us. You see, the only the landlord, right, has the authority to let us back into the apartment that we were kicked out from. I was reminded of this um, moment in, in the ministry of Alistair Begg, and you can look this up, where he's talking about, you can look it up on uh, YouTube, The Man in the Middle, um, and it's a, it's a really, it's, it's both humorous and profound. And he, and he begins to talk about the thief on the cross, and he sort of, uh, you know, whimsically is describing, you know, what it must be like when the thief arrived in paradise, and the angel sort of comes up to him and says, how did you get here? And, and this thief inevitably has never been to a Bible study, right? He certainly doesn't know the doctrine of justification by faith. Um, he, he knows nothing about church membership. And in, in each question, as Alistair goes on to sort of 
um, imagine. The, the angel uh, sort of is like, what? I don't understand how you got here. And he, and he finally gets to the point. He says, well, sir, how, who let you in? And he, and he says, the man on the middle cross said I could come. Friends, Jesus is the key, right? The home that he hasn't abandoned for us, he left for himself. He traveled east of Eden, right? To, to, to seek and to save us, to gather us to himself, to bring us home. If we go back to Luke 15, we had the parable of, of the lost coin. And if we think about in that same section of scripture, the parable of the lost sheep. I don't know if you know this, but modern shepherds don't go after the one sheep that's ran away. They let it run away. And I've been told that they, they'll even kill that sheep if it returns because they don't want to breed stupid, stupidity and rebellion into the flock. It's a pretty good, savvy business practice. Think about that in relation to what he says in that text. Not only does our Savior, the good shepherd, who says, I'm coming, I'm coming, I'm coming, he comes after, not to pat us on the back, but to put us on his shoulders with a burden of our sin to bring us back. And if, and if you remember, and I'll remind you in Luke chapter 15, in both occasions, well, all three occasions, the coin, the sheep, and the sons, it all ends with joy. Friends, a savior, a king, who tells you that he's coming back three times isn't a reluctant one. He's not sort of looking at your spiritual output and saying, is it worth it? It would always be no. Friends, he's excited to bring you and me home. He doesn't care about the bottom line or calculating what you might give to him, but he says, you're mine. And I don't abandon the home that I've created for us. Jesus is our home. Friends, he will not quit gathering his bride, right? He will not quit putting us back into his garden, bringing us home. And this morning, He's telling us that he's on the way. He is. As you lean into this next year, could that be um, something that might ring truer and truer for you? He's on his way. You belong to him. And he will not quit. Either his plans or his plan to bring you and me and his entire church, the bride, home with him. Let's pray. Jesus, that you would leave heaven, that you would flee what you had for our own sake is, is the sort of love that our, that our hearts just literally can't absorb. And I pray as we think about how you take the mic out of John and the angel's hand and you speak directly just how you started your entire witness in Scripture. You're speaking to us this morning, and you're reminding us again that you're coming soon, that you will not leave us, that you will pursue us, and that your resiliency, your divine stubbornness knows no end. Would you, 
Would you push back and resist our stubbornness that disbelieves this? If we're bored this morning, would you wake us up? Lord, if we're exhausted, would you lift us up? Lord, if if we're tasting a bit of your joy, would you help us to revel in the hope that there's more to come? Only you can hold each of us and all of our sinful baggage together. And Lord, we ask that you do this through your word. In Jesus' name, amen.